Hey, welcome to this episode of Hollywood Breaks. Great to be with you today. Keith and I had an interesting talk about how Netflix is becoming a voice and a platform very different than this content machine. It's been for many, many years and how others have fallen, the Will Smiths and even the Batgirls of the world. So very interesting episode. Please enjoy this episode of Hollywood Breaks. When I saw your list of what we're going to talk about today, yeah, I thought you were missing the Will Smith apology. Ugh, really? <laughs> you actually make me talk about it right now. Well, people can go read the Founders Brew. I talked about it there. Well, that's why I thought we were going to, I mean, I thought that's why we're going to talk, talk about, about it because you kind of hit it there. Okay. But it's, uh, yeah. I mean, you know, what are we going to say about it? And I think everyone else has somewhat kind of expressed what they, they um, <laughs> know is the reality of it. To me, you know, there are two offensive parts about the apology. And I'm now breaking down someone else's apology. So this is, you know, <sighs> listen to us. We're sidelining on the sideline. But one is like the, you know, he's wearing his brand right in the center of it. So like, just in case you're wondering who I'm working for, this is all about, you know, let's promote the brand here. Make sure that's being seen. Yep. Um, yep. But then also, what the, what's the deal with the cue card thing? I mean, isn't the guy an Oscar award-winning actor? Couldn't he pull off a better <laughs> than like, why did you hit Chris Rock? Well, listen, you know, like I don't know. It was just uh, it, it. It was it was very it was very prepackaged, and I think the cue cards were a way to make it feel like it was authentic that he wasn't trying to be prepackaged. Like, oh, look, we didn't we didn't do any you know Hollywood magic tricks with this. We're being real. Like, look, we even just use cue cards. Um, I, you know, listen, I th- I think as I mentioned in the newsletter. They do need a cue card for that oh, question. Please. <laughs> like, pretty sure. He knew the question. Yeah, yeah. He knew it was coming. They re- probably rehearsed it for like, they've been rehearsing it since the day after the uh, Oscars, I'm sure. Um, I, you know, I think I uh, like Matt Bologna had a really good sort of point by point takedown of the apology in his, um, what, I, what I'm hearing, which I linked in the Founders Brew newsletter. But I think ultimately this is about, he has a movie coming out, uh, Emancipation, which is Apple TV Plus. It's another awards play. It's a big movie. They spent a buttload of money on mm. it. And they, they can't start the promotion until he comes out and faces the public. Now, my my feeling of this has always been, we know how he really felt the day, the, right after the incident. He didn't apologize. He equivocated. He tried to justify it. He didn't leave. He stayed to get his award. And then he went out and partied all night at the Vanity Fair party and just pretended like nothing happened. And then only then the next day when he realized that everyone had kind of turned against him and we're all on Chris Rock's side, then he wrote, oh, damn, I have to apologize. So I don't think anybody really believes this is sincere. It's all about it's he's trying to save his career, which I think has been reputably damaged. Um, I mean, listen, I, I'm, I'm willing to admit I'm wrong and that he could emancipation could be a huge hit. Uh, but I think he's done irreparable damage to his career. And I don't really see any, you don't really see any real sincerity coming from any of yeah. this. Like the way it was, the, you know, like you said, mm-hmm. you know, the fact he was wearing a hat with his brand. Like if he had just done like picked up a phone and recorded something and said, That's listen, please. I had a long time to think about right. it. I've had a long time to think about this. I know I screwed up. I know my actions the night of were totally reprehensible. I shouldn't have done what I did. I'm sorry to Chris. I'm sorry to his family. I'm ready. You know, I want to talk to him, but I understand he's not ready. Like little things like that to show that he's actually sorry. And you don't see any of that. Mm. It's all just manufactured because he's got a movie coming out. 
And yeah. I, I tie this obviously in the in the newsletter between sort of the, the, the ever changing mode of celebrity, you know, because there was a uh, the blonde trailer came out for Net, which is Marilyn Monroe biopic from Netflix. And I was sort of contrasting how, you know, that version of celebrity was so managed. They kept all the problems underneath the rug. But at the same time, you got all this, you got attention and money, but you sacrificed your private life. And let's be honest, we were, uh, you know, Marilyn Monroe was abused in all different kinds of ways. Um, and then you flip to the present age of celebrity where they can basically get away with anything they want because we've sort of elevated to the point where they're the otherworldly versus back then, you know, they were managed because the studios knew that there were certain decorums that had to be held you know yeah, you were expected were, to act like a human being to still. an industry yeah. yeah yeah and you were expected to act like a human being and not you know go far field of sort of what you know the acceptable behavior in society was at the time now it's just like well they're become so otherworldly and so their egos have exploded to the point where they can like chris rock i mean sorry will smith feels he can walk up assault someone on stage go back verbally assault them twice and pretend like everything's fine. yeah i know but it, it also like the celebrity culture is just you know the tiktok world and everything else the celebrity culture is just everywhere so if you are a hollywood actor compared to a tiktok star the world has melding it all together to just you know almost famousness yeah yeah i compared it to like america you know they were back in the sort of the days of Marilyn Monroe, although yes, they were controlled and the studio, they were owned basically by the studios. They were more or less considered American royalty, like other, like sort of like on this pedestal, but at the same time, still something to sort of admire in a lot of ways. And, you know, they followed some, you know, they were, they followed the rules and they weren't crazy, but we, we later learned that that was because the studios kind of put a lot of, you know, can you know, cans on things. Yeah. That, didn't come out but then that sort of shifted and you know in the 60s as everything sort of shifted in the 60s um it became this sort of they went from being otherworldly to being this ooh, sorry about that they came from being otherworldly to uh yeah, from royalty to becoming this otherworldly force that could pretty much live by their own rules and not really you know be fearful of any consequences to their behavior. It's interesting because the because the voice of Hollywood would just say maybe that's an easier way of like summarizing what what we're kind of looking for or what we're used to hearing is like a voice of Hollywood has a perspective of you know in, in easiest way of saying it is like promotion, right? It's people mm -hmm. promoting themselves, promoting a film promoting their friends. That's what the award ceremonies are about. That's what every trailer is yeah. about. That's honest. What every news article that you read about somebody famous is about. It's about, you know, it's a PR agent promoting, um, uh -huh. um, you're talking about, you know, like the, that promotion, uh, in the early days was somewhat controlled because they didn't want any word out of, out of play. So you went to dinner with somebody already controlled. You dated somebody controlled, yeah. That that was spun yeah. purposefully for the uh, uh, purpose of promotion. Um, mm -hmm. Today, like I wonder if just all the noise requires, you know, these extreme situations to be heard. Not hitting mm -hmm. somebody. I don't mean like that, but just the um, 
the extreme at which people go to and the amount of the volume of what crap that they create. And it has to be user-driven content in order to keep up with the insane demand for consumption for this stuff. Um, that you yeah. can understand why it's um, you know falling apart. What's what's the correction? If you were a strategist working for an agency right now and they were talking about you know the next phase of Hollywood and how you know we have to put things back in alignment or whatever the words they might use, you know, what would your what would your advice be? Are you are you talking more about promo or what? What I, I'm I, I'm trying to get to the. Well, I should say, so yeah, no, to summarize, like just the idea of like promotion, the, the intent of mm-hmm. all everything we talked about celebrity in the past and even in the present is about promotion. I'm selling a mm-hmm. show, right. a makeup line, yep. clothing line, yep. whatever. Um, right. So we know promotion will always continue. Like that's not going to yes. stop. But the no. evolution from a controlled environment to an out of control environment, what is the next phase that would be, you know, Strategically, what would you do? Yeah, I think it's somewhat in the middle. Um, you know, I think a lot of what has gone on over the course of the last few years is sort of o- overcorrection in a lot of ways versus trying to be a more moderate in the middle. And I think that's kind of the way of going about this. And, you know, I understand the the thought process of promoting and, you know, being out there in force. But I think one of the things that is most important is that the people are able to believe you in whatever role you take on. And that involves sort of not being so front and center. Um, you're not being, you know, promote doing the promotion when needed, because that's just part of the game, but then backing off, like you don't really, I mean, yes, we hear a lot about Leonardo DiCaprio and, you know, when he's out in his yacht, but he doesn't, he doesn't, he doesn't go to the hot spots all the time. Um, I'm often reminded of, uh, um, um, what an actor whose name is escaping me once said, listen, you can be anonymous here. This is a guy talking about LA. It's like, you can be anonymous here. There are places, you know, that if you go, you're going to get photographed. And a lot of those photos are all planned. Mm-hmm. It's all like, oh, we're going to go to Nobu and Malibu because, and then they get the tip. You know, they're not told because that's sort of the unwritten rule that when the publicist calls the photographer and says, so-and-so are going to be at Nobu tonight, they don't tell them they're going to be. So it looks more, oh, I'm being photographed. Um, there's a way around that where you can still be natural and still have a bit of a mystique to you. And I think then people are more likely to believe you in whatever role you might have. And I think that's why you have a lot of celebrities. Like, take a Ryan Gosling, for example. I, I, I think he's universe. He might be one of the most universally beloved actors. Everybody really likes him. Nobody really complains about him because he doesn't, you don't see him. He doesn't have social media. He doesn't, he does what he has to do. And then he goes back into his family. It's a job to him. It's not a life. And a lot of people in the industry now look at it as a life and not just, you know, it's, it's who they are, not what they do. And I think that's sort of the correction right there. You kind of have to meet in the middle. You do the promo where you have to. You don't go nuts on social media. And, you know, I think that's the way to sort of bring it back. So they don't know a ton about your life. And I think that's a part of the interest is they can believe you in a character role because they don't know a ton about your, you personally. Yeah, and I think that's I think that's a big a big part of it. It's a, it is interesting. By the way, I just took me in a note to uh, make a reservation at Nobu Malibu. I didn't know realize that's where all the celebrities <laughs> were. I needed to get some autographs, <laughs> autograph book. Yeah, if you if you ever you know you're bound to find somebody there. It's pretty a pretty <laughs> hot spot. Um, 
Okay, I'm I'm going to pivot here because you said Ryan Gosling, and I, I did watch uh, The Gray Man. Did you watch ah. it? No, Tim. I'm I'm telling you, I'm in Maine. I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna be lagging on the content while I'm up here. Okay. <laughs> Uh, I can rely on you since I, you're still in the land of the living. I don't think there's any confusion of how I feel about Netflix content. Right. No, I, yes, I think we I've all been know, pretty yes. yes. Yeah. I didn't mind it. They have a quality control problem. This is, it oh, was, yeah. I, I also didn't mind. I, I feel like I'm showing my stripes a little bit, but I didn't mind the red notice. I get what's going on there. I mean, it's a, it's a genre. It's a little bit, you know, cheesy. Um, it was, it was a spectacular kind of like peace there the the blow up scenes the chase scenes what have you um for the most part the actors were great you know there's always just seems to be like at some level they go from you know people they know that can act to a level where they are just grabbing students off the beach from ucla and throwing them in a scene i don't know what's happening with that next level <laughs> um but uh, uh yeah i'm just uh, um I, I kind of like wish Netflix and maybe this is what's going to happen is like, maybe Netflix is going to slow down a little bit and start realizing how movies are actually made. Like this idea of a blockbuster is important instead of just infinite content. And I wonder if that's yeah. like recession, like in the recession, if that's not a opportunity for them to make an excuse to focus differently. Well, yeah. I mean, Stuber, Scott Stuber, the head of Netflix film has been saying for a while now, and most recently that, you know, they have to start paying uh, tighter attention to quality. And, you know, it, I often roll my eyes anytime someone's, we just need to make good movies. I'm like, oh, wow. Thanks, Captain Obvious. Where you been all my life? You what know? a great idea. <laughs> what a great idea. Gee, I wonder what other genius has been thinking about that. Maybe every studio exec since time in memoriam. But I mean, it's yeah, I understand it. Um, I think the the reality is they do need to be a little bit more focused on their quality uh, versus quantity and, and i think that's kind of what the mantra is i i'm uh, frankly i'm a surprised that scott stuber still passes his keeper tests but um i think it's because he has very solid relationships in town um and i think that's a big part of and i don't know if ted uh sarandos has those kind of relationships so that's why i think he keeps stuber around because Super's had a very sort of up and down mm, track record at Netflix. I mean, yes, they get a lot of millions of views, but the movies aren't exactly what I would call great. Um, and, you know, listen, we'll see. I, 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 I do want to watch Gray Man. I like Chris Evans. I like Ryan Gosling. I like the, the sort of concept of it. I like the look of it. I like the Russo brothers. I mean, listen, if I were in Stuber's seat, I probably would have greenlit the movie too. I can't say, I, I mean, how would you look at that package and be like, eh, pass. I don't know if I would have spent $200 million on it, but, uh, you know, there was this yeah, whole, it looked expensive. I'm going to say like it did kind of look expensive. Well, I mean the, the whole article, there was an article about it and it was at Sony and, um, you know, Tom Sony, the chairman of Sony is Tom Rothman and he's noticeably to be very budget conscious. He wanted to make it for 70 and the Russo brothers was like, there's no way we can make this movie for 70 yeah. and make it look the way we want it to look. So they <laughs> ran a Netflix and got 200. So, I mean, I get it. Um, you know, some of the reviews I have read now, granted, these are reviews. I haven't seen the movie. I don't want to qualify my statement, but it's, it, it seems to have come across as very formulaic things we've seen before. Nothing new. Yeah. Totally. Um, That's what red notice was too. Like I appreciated red notice, but I got, I know it's that formula 
it's so easy. Yeah, I guess given the caliber of talent they had attached, I would expect something a little bit more original. I'd say like um, what's fair is the characterization uh, was great yeah. from the actors. They all, mm-hmm. I thought, uh, did that well. Chris Evans was really fun. His character was just an asshole and he did it perfectly. Which makes me worry that he's actually an asshole, but <laughs> yeah. maybe he's a really good actor. I have a feeling he's <laughs> not. There's just something kind of fun in there. But yeah, I, I, to me, I think there's an evolution part of it. And I again, like just the idea of what the recession will bring to Hollywood is going to be mm. new, you know, kind of reworking the system a little bit. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, it's, not, it's not a bad move uh, for Netflix to have some blockbusters that people yeah. would hang on to. And, you know, if just that one film alone or a film like that once a month it is worth keeping my subscription around instead of giving me a load of content that I have to dig through and then basically go to Amazon Prime to watch something because I can't find it on Netflix. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah. I mean, I think that's the, the the big question, especially after this earnings week and some of the more disappointing numbers coming out of the streamers in particular and the challenging headwinds they have ahead. Um, you know, I think the question has always been, you know, is Hollywood recession proof? I mean, cause you know, the debate, all you want, the definition of recession, a recession, most of the times it's been defined as two quarters of negative growth, which we all, we have proved that yeah. we have. So we're more or less in a recession. And I think, Hollywood has always looked upon as sort of recession proof because it's like an escape, you know, you go to the movies, you know, what are you going to do? If you don't want to spend expensive dinner, you go to the movies. Uh, I think the bigger issue now is so much content is being pushed onto the streamer. So you don't have to leave the house. Uh, Prices are going up. And I think the other thing is there's not a lot of movies coming out. So I think it's going to be one of those weird things where you're going to have not a lot of movies in theaters. So people are going to turn to their streamers, but the streamers have all, you know, don't have varying qualities of content. So I think there's going to be a lot of churn. I think there's going to be a lot of people being like, well, we can, we can get by uh, with just Apple TV and Netflix, or we can just get by with Netflix because Netflix has what we're used to. And we're used to that or in Netflix and Amazon prime. Cause I get more value for my money from Amazon prime. So I think a lot of the up and you know the start streamers that are starting up, like Peacock, like Paramount Plus, in some ways Apple TV Plus, and in some ways um, uh, HBO Max, Discovery Plus, Max, whatever it's going to be, um, I think are all going to face a lot of tough choices over the course of the next uh, few months. It's particularly HBO Max and Discovery because you know Warner Brothers Discovery has a lot of tough choices coming up because they. Um, are in the midst of heavy debt load that they've got to cut. And Zaz has, uh, David Zasloff has made it clear that, you know, to this Wall Street that he's going to commit it to $3 billion in savings. So he's got to find that money in a, somewhere. And as we know, <clears throat> he's not scared to uh, pull the plug on a, uh, on a movie. <laughs> well, what's interesting also is, and I'll give kudos to Netflix on this one too, is you know, the, the way they were supporting Dave Chappelle mm-hmm. and uh, allowing kind of it, it becoming a platform for something in a way yeah. for the way they're doing that is yep. interesting. And also mm-hmm. supporting Dave Chappelle. I honestly feel like Dave Chappelle is doing a pretty good job of supporting himself. I don't I think he's very clear what his message is. And I think there's mm-hmm. um, an understanding of what he the conversation he's trying to have. Right. So he's in the middle of a 
of us, you know, putting himself in the middle. So a dialogue will take place and his genius allows that to take place. Um, but I just saw the, his Dave Chappelle's acceptance speech um, for um, the theater of the high school he went to um, was dedicated in his name and his acceptance speech. And once again, Netflix covered it and Dave Chappelle did a good job. Yeah. Um, maybe even a bigger thought. And I think that this was a very awesome Netflix play is their whole comedy world. You know, like comedy hasn't died. It felt like at one, at one moment comedy was going to be dead. Right. Every comedian was saying, I can't have, I, I can't, can't tell a funny. joke anymore. Yeah. Without being canceled. So they all yeah. got really quiet for a while. Um, and I'm here in LA. I actually went to Jim Gaffigan last night live at the, at the Orange County fair. And I'll just say like, I don't think, com I think comedy is where comedy needs to be. It's a little bit edgy. It's talking about the items that are up front and in everyone's life right now. Um, and Netflix is becoming a platform for a voice really mm -hmm. of a dialogue using comedy to do it, but a, a, a dialogue to take the place. That's pretty awesome too. And I think that for Netflix to recognize the platform they can become, to give a voice to something that, you know, if it was on YouTube, it would be canceled because it's about the public vote. And in Netflix's case, they they can recognize something and say, no, we think this is important. We think mm -hmm. this is critical. We understand what's going on. We'll take the heat. We're going to keep it keep it going. That's um, that's it's powerful, but it's interesting that they. Um, have the opportunity to do that to, to do that as well. Yeah, I mean, I think it, I, I, yeah, I think it's great that they've been willing to sort of stand up for their talent. And you know, Ted Sarandos made a comment saying, "Listen, if you're made uncomfortable by some of this content, maybe Netflix isn't the right place for you because we are going to be, we're going to allow our creators to express their vision, their voice, and you know, we don't find any of this, you know, beyond the pale offensive and." You know, B Bill Barr is another one who's another comedian who his, sort of waited. His Red Rock special was yeah. Who really waited into some way. yeah. He waded into some really contentious social issues, and you know that's just that's comedy. That I mean, it it helps us sort of see. I mean, if we can't laugh at certain points throughout this ridiculousness that is you know the human existence at times, then we're all sunk. So I think it's it's great that Netflix has sort of become that voice. Um, but again, on the film side, I think they still have to focus on quality and not quantity. Mm -hmm. And I still think they're trying to figure out what that looks like. And, you know, they're losing, you know, their licensing deals because all the other, you know, production companies slash studios have started their own streamers. So they're losing. So they really do have to turn out content. I understand the strategy behind it. I just think now they have to really step back and start focusing on, um, finding out a way to up the quality a little bit without having to spend $250 million on, on movies. So can I, I'm going to ask you a movie question here too, because you know, it, it, just along that same idea is, is the big movie budget just dead. And I'm thinking specifically like uh, what Warner brothers doing with Batgirl, right. you know, just shelving that one. Mm -hmm. I question what the hell's going on with Warner brothers, right there. They seem <laughs> unlike, paramount that seemed to figure out something Warner yeah. brothers uh steps in it all everywhere they step um <laughs> but also just like is that what's the do you think there is something to recognize in that girl being shelved from a recession budget point of view or is it simply just 
a DC world universe issue. Here, I think what it is, you have you've had several years of uncertain. Warner Brothers has been kind of on a roller coaster for the last decade or so. They had relatively stability when Alan Horn and Barry Diller were running the studio. And Alan Horn, as I mentioned in my newsletter, has been brought back to the fold as a consultant at Warner Brothers to sort of steady the ship and help uh, Mike DeLuca and Pam Nabdi sort of guide through the, the next phase of whatever Warner Brothers ends up being. Um, so I think because of that, um, there's been a lot of, again, it goes to sort of a quality issue. You know, when it does somehow have to do with DC. So just to give you a little history, when um, Jeff Robinoff hired Zack Snyder to do Man of Steel, Robinoff was telling anyone who would listen, this is going to be the biggest movie in Warner Brothers history. It didn't quite get there. It was a hit, no doubt. The campaign was amazing. Um, the movie was okay. As a Superman fan, I was not crazy about some of the mythological changes that he made. But nonetheless, and then Robinoff made the decision to hand the DC Universe to Snyder and say, you run with it. It's your vision. You go. And then Batman vs. Superman happened. Everyone's like, what the? And that sort of caused the brakes to fall. And then Robinoff was let go because Kevin Tushahara took over. And then you had Greg Silverman and Sue Kroll and Toby Emmerich sort of as the office, the, the bake-off between the three of them. And then ultimately, Toby Emmerich won that. He got rid of Jeff Johns and um, John Berg, who were sort of like overseeing DC and then brought in Walter so Romano. So it's falling apart. It's basically yes. falling apart. And it and it's and it's Z- uh, David Zaslav, who uh, Matt Baloney pointed out, writers are now calling him Z- uh, Zaz the Butcher <laughs> because he's just slicing and dicing, which to be fair, he has to do. There's a crap load of debt. They got f- almost $50 billion in debt. He's promised $3 billion in savings. And I, I listen, I get, you know, as a marketer who's worked on movies that, that have been not great and have not really deserved a theatrical release. Listen, I, I, it's, it's tough to swallow when you're, when it's a talent driven town, but at the end of the day, if you have a terrible screening, which apparently Batgirl did not screen well, Hmm. it didn't have the quality and the expectation that Zaslav has now said, we want to be Marvel. We want to be their quality. And now granted that has been said before, but clearly they're committed to it now because they saw the movie and they're like, we don't, it bumped up. It was originally budgeted at 70, got bumped up to 90 because of COVID restrictions. And they were going to have to spend a ton more over a hundred million dollars to make it worth it. And I just think given all the, that they were facing, they said, we got to pull a plug on this. Now, apparently it was not handled great. Apparently the New York post got a hold of it. I've heard competing stories that the New York post got a hold of it before Michael what a PR and Pam, mess that is, right? Well, Michael and Pam were able to call the directors who were actually one was at the other's wedding somewhere and they got the call and they couldn't, they hadn't called talent yet. It's a very interesting, it, it, it's, it's, a, it's a microcosm of everything that's going on and the changes in Hollywood. Because the other aspect of this is when Jason Kalar instituted Project Popcorn and put all those movies on HBO Max, which arguably helped HBO Max quite well, actually. Sure. And it didn't, putting it on um, on HBO, on Batman on HBO Max didn't kill the box office. So it didn't look like it was a total failure. 
But the agents were out in arms. Like, this is ridiculous. Particularly Brian Lord came out and said, this is not, what are you doing? And now the agents are surprisingly quiet. There's been no like, what are you, this is not how we operate in this town. And maybe that's because Brian Lord was heavily involved in sort of introducing Zasloff around town to all, you know, executives and was sort of like helping him get the lay of the land of what it's like to work in Hollywood. So it's interesting that again, there's 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 been no talk. Now, granted, I don't know the reps on any of the people who were involved in Batgirl, so maybe CAA had a very low interest in the movie, which could be very well reason. But as far as a precedent, you know, it's 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 big when you kill a movie like this, especially when it's a, um, on such a big franchise like Batgirl. Oh yeah. Because there's a built-in audience, like the built-in audience for the DC universe. Yeah, and they were bringing Michael Keaton back, the original Batman. He's in this movie. He's in Batgirl. Um, now the argument could probably be made that they should release it because now everybody wants to see it. Yeah, because yeah, they're yeah. like, okay, is this really that bad? Now I really want to see it. So, um, listen, but it's I, not finished, right? That's part of the where they're canceling it. They a couple, yeah. I guess, a, a week or two ago, they had a screening. It did not play particularly well. And, um, you know, I, I feel for an exec like Walter Hermata, who's been trying to navigate between all these changes. And unfortunately, you know, I guess he found out about it at the screening, was not consulted. So I think he feels a little slighted. And he's been trying to do what his over the over like Jason Clark was the one we need to put DC movies on HBO Max. So that's the execution that Walter Hermata went down. And now it's sort of like, okay, no, 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 we're going to scrap that. We're going to do what Marvel does. We're going to have a 10-year plan. Alan Horn's coming over. He's going to help us sort of build out Marvel. We're going to do exactly similar to what Disney did. We'll see if it works. I mean, the other thing, DC also has somewhat of a darker edge to it. It always has. I mean, Batman was a darker yeah. character. And they have some darker characters. And, you know, Marvel has that sort of light comic book, comic book quality to it. And, you know, it'll be interesting to see how they're going to affect that well in the DC universe. It's gonna... It is interesting, like the more famous heroes growing up were Wonder Woman, Batman, Batman and Superman. Superman. Right. Easily. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And Spider-Man. So the only, re- the, the only major character I would know from Marvel immediately would be Spider-Man. Right. It's interesting how the, spy- the Marvel universe seemed to have a longer play and longer legs than the mm-hmm. three big players, three major yeah. big players. Now, now, of course, Batman TV shows and Batman films kind of have always been made. Superman films and Superman TV shows, right, are, has always been out right. there, and yeah, and uh, Wonder Woman also, right. So yeah. those characters have played themselves out more, and Marvel was a little bit behind. So the introduction of a character that I wasn't as familiar with in the Marvel universe is more genuine than seeing another version of Batman. Yeah, that's a great, I mean, cause DC really kind of dominated. It was really, I mean, I remember seeing, you know, everybody remembers the Richard Donner Superman, um, which was really the first four way into in sort of taking a, a comic book character and making them feel like, you know, a movie, like a movie spectacle. And, you know, then you had Tim Burton and Batman, and then you had the countless Batman shows in the 60s and Wonder Woman in the 80s and 70s and 80s. And then Marvel was just kind of not, they released these cheesy movies here and there, but nothing major. And then all of a sudden, Kevin Feige shows up and, you know, completely reinvents the wheel. And then all of a sudden, DC is just sort of left behind. I think it it's going to come down to them finding someone. I mean, it's easy to say he's got to find his Kevin Feige. 
I mean, Dave Zavrov has to find his Kevin Feige. And I don't know if maybe it's that he'd try to poach one of the junior execs from Marvel. I, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's definitely going to be find another kind of universe. Why does it be a superhero universe? You know, like, well, there, Star yeah. Wars is also a universe that they haven't figured out. Like, if you're going to well, do the universe play, you don't, you're not stuck. Well, with yeah, just... well, yeah, it's true. And they're also looking, I mean, to David Zaslov credit, he's reached out to JK Rowling to talk about, you know, expanding the Harry Potter universe, which is great. Um, and, you know, there are other aspects that they can do, but I think, Right now, it's all about superheroes because those are those big spectacle movies that people will play pay to see, as we've witnessed over the last few months. And I think that's what the Wall Street's expecting. And you know, Zaslav has a lot of work to do, um, you know, to get to that point. So it's it's not going to be an easy road for them. I don't envy <clears throat> them at all. And I don't. I I you know, I, having been on sort of tangentially involved in very tough conversations with talent. It's never easy to call talent on the movies being pulled from the slate and basically being buried. Yeah. And they're just going to take the tax right off. Um, that that's never easy to hear. And, you know, they're, they're supposedly going to be rebuilding the universe. So we'll see what happens. Um, yeah. So interesting. It, I, what's interesting is uh, they've got beyond the sunk cost by us. Like that's a, that's a big budget just to throw away. Yeah, um, but you know that someone ran some numbers and thought, yeah, there were numbers. Hey, we're not going to clear it, and the tax write-off. You know, I'm sure that all those numbers were run, and they didn't think it was worth the risk to try to fix the movie in post, which happens a lot. I mean, people would be surprised, even with Marvel movies. There are a lot of movies where they after um, the original production ends, and you get an assembly and you get a director's assembly. You're like, whoa. <laughs> we got a lot of work to do and you know that's what and that's what Feige's brilliant at he's really good at stepping in and fixing the problems and um i think the thing that dc really has to do is start to find directors who are fans of the properties because that's that's yeah. what marvel did so brilliantly they found directors who were big fans of comic or who were comic book fans as kids and didn't really want to mess with the mythology Zack snyder i don't think was a big comic book fan and I think he came in. He's like, you know what? Superman's lame. We're gonna we're gonna change him. We're gonna actually we're not gonna have his dad die um, of a heart attack. So Superman understands that he can't save everyone. He's not a god. And you no, know, we're just gonna have everyone hate Superman. And then he's gonna murder Zod. I mean, yeah, I could quibble all day about it. But you know, that in and of itself, I think, was the first step that sort of really kind of messed it up for DC. And their leadership changes. Well, yeah, to make your to follow a lore that one already loves, and to make your own lore, you you better know what. And to be fair, the leader, the, the constant re revolving door of leadership changes at Warner Brothers over the last decade has definitely, obviously, led to where we are today. Whereas Disney was was relatively stable, and I think you can see that in the quality of their films. Well, I'm just going to point out that Hollywood is not going to get out of this recession unless you start going to the movies, Keith. So. Can you actually just start spending nine bucks every once in a while to help us? Well, I will. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, know, I know I need to go start. I, and I, <laughs> I recognize that, but you know, I thank you, Tim. I'm glad you're here to <laughs> continuously berate me about not going to the movies. I realize I have to start going more and yes. I'm just making a list. I have Elvis for you. I have now I, I just added a gray man for yeah, you. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. Well, the the challenge is that my wife and I have very divergent tastes in film. So that is part of the difficulty. 
because she does not like half the movies I like. I had to go see Top Gun by myself. You can go to Downtown Abbey. You can do that just fine. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, we can absolutely do that. But, um, you know, she's not going to go see Elvis. She's not going to go see. She's not going to want to watch Gray Man. I can tell you that right now. That's definitely not in her in her wheelhouse. So it's that and managing the fact that, you know, the kids are always running around being crazy. So. Not, I'm, I'm just going to make excuses. That's all I'm going to do. That's part of the recession. Is uh, <laughs> yeah. all the people that had kids during the pandemic <laughs> is now slowing down. People yeah, are getting back yeah, to the it's all part of it. Yeah, that's exactly right. That's totally what it is. All right, my friend. Well, you have a great week. Enjoy sailing up there. I will. In, uh, I'll in try. Maine. Thanks, Tim. I'll Come watch the sometime. movies for you. I'll yeah. go twice to every film. Yeah, you go. So you go can. twice, and then. Um, then you can report back to me and then I'll eventually tell you how wrong you were about your review. Perfect. I love it. That's the way it seems to be working. That seems to work perfectly. (laughs) So there you go. All right. Have a good one. Yeah, you too.